And remember that we are not descended from fearful men. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Five, four, three. The Kellen and Alex Show. Zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. The Kellen Kellen and Alex Show! So the book of Job, uh, how your life is going to turn into that, Kellen, because you've been winning too much. The house is going to fall down. Everything's going to get destroyed. What are you going to do in that moment? When all your good times... Who is Job again? It's for sure now, John. It's for sure. Your life's going to... Wait, hold on. Wasn't Job the guy who had like everything taken away from him? Like his family died and lost his land and everything? Yes. That was Job, right? Yeah. Damn, I don't want you're that. You're at a high point, so I, I have to, you I'm know, at a high point. You I need to get humbled. Yeah, so. it's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Kellen. Thank you very much. It's the feast of Saint Cyril and Methodius. Okay, why? Yeah. Uh, I read the readings. Is, is Saint good. is Saint Valentine's feast day actually today, or is yes, it? Yes, he's still in the Roman calendar, I believe. Okay, Saint Valentine. I actually barely know the story. I know he was martyred. I actually don't know anything about Saint Valentine. Really, the story. Come on, John, enlighten us. Um, off the yeah, top, I'm of my getting head, turned uh, into a job soon, bro. Yeah, <laughs> I don't have it all memorized, but I believe the tradition is that he was a Roman bishop who would marry Christian Roman officers to their lady loves. That's right. He would. He would be like a. Oh, make sure you're making out with Mike. He would. He would serve as like a, like a. He was uh, a bishop, uh, wasn't uh, he? Yeah, he was a bishop, so he would marry people. Basically. Oh, yeah. That's, That's the story. Well, <laughs> okay, so Faith Cirilla put in our chat a, a like a happy Valentine's Day, and just it was a beheaded head. And yes. I was like, part of the tradition, <laughs> part of the tradition is that he was beaten and beheaded for his Christian activities. Yeah, festive visual. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, man, uh, yeah, Valentine's dude, Day. Anyways, great, it was a great Valentine's li- Day. Life's good for you at the moment, Kellen. Life we're, is great. We're 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 charting out all the different paths all the different uh you have your highs and your lows you do and then um but you really so, learn to enjoy the good by moments. the way book of job is a throwback because the longest podcast we ever did five hours we talked book of job for like two of those hours we and did. exactly <laughs> <I> remember <laughs> we were we were drinking quite a bit <laughs> and i just and then we just started talking uh yeah gospel job, job. so my valentine's day gospel uh, job so I've been doing the uh, the Gospel in a Year podcast. It's been going massively successful. Give us a little insight about that, Alex. Yeah. So Gospel Commentaries. Podcast. Yeah, Gospel Commentaries, Gospel in a Year, shout outs on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. Cheers, cheers. Um, it's really become like the Pharisees rant, like, because I'm doing the Gospel of Matthew, you know, and so much of it is on the Pharisees. It's I'm just ridiculous. I'm a Pharisee myself. Yeah, it's like, who the, who are they? What are they doing? Um, that like the majority of the gospels on them and they're, they're interesting, but like, they're always mentioned. Yes. They're always, mentioned. they're always coming up to Christ yeah. asking him crap. You know? <laughs> so the one I did today was, um, on the Pharisees just come up to him and say like, why do your disciples not wash their hands? I'm yeah, not, I'm not that BS. Was the gospel today, right? No, 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 that wasn't the gospel today. Was it? No, no. I have no idea. No, today Jesus was like pissed in the gospel and it was like, it oh, was really? like 10 lines. That was it. Yeah. It was the other day, I think, where they questioned me. He's like, you know, it's custom in our Jewish law that we wash our hands. We cleanse ourselves before we eat. And Jesus was like, okay, go do it then. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, isn't that the one that ends with the, you 
strain the gnat out of your food, but you swallow Oh, a yeah, and you swallow a camel. Yeah, that was Sunday's reading, yes. right? So I guess it was, again, for today and Monday. Um, but yeah, it's that one. The one in Matthew, that version, so they come up, you know, why don't your disciples wash their hands? And he says, um, you know... Go straight, well, <laughs> go straight to... Uh, Go straight to hell. No, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Pretty close. Straight to metaphors. To he said, you've you've set aside the commandments to follow your own traditions. And then he says, if you say um, whatever, you know, the commandment is honor your father and mother, but you say whatever would have been given to my father and mother is korban, is gift, then you don't have to give it. Thus, you make vain the teachings of, of God. And you're like, what the world does that mean? So what the Pharisees yeah, had done. I didn't understand yeah. any of that. Yeah. So honor your father and mother, right? So one of the main functions that actually played was, you know, when your parents get old, you got to take care of them at some point, you know, like they didn't have like a Jewish social security that everyone was paying into, right? <laughs> there's, no, there's no checks in the mail. <laughs> right? <Maybe> the Romans. <laughs> yeah, right. Now the Romans had retirement plans, but it was, it was for the soldiers. Dude, did you know this? Romans invented the retirement plan. No way. Yes, it did. Come on. Yes, it did. What was their plan? Well, the plan was go go freaking <laughs> chop off German heads for 20 years, and then we'll give you a little plot of land. And like that, that was in like Turkey or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, for the soldiers. Yeah. I mean, okay. So you're young. You know, you, you, you're, you could possibly die in the battlefield. What could we promise you that you would do that? Land and social. Land when you're old. Benefits. Yeah. Yeah. So That's they they invented the retirement system pension plan thing to get people to possibly die out on the battlefield. Clearly, it's pretty it corrupt. Anyways, so the Pharisees had made this thing where so normally you had to give some of that money to your your family when they're old, right? But you could take that money and say this money is korban, which means gift, and. So that means at the end of your life, that money that you set aside that's korban has to be given to the temple. But before you die, you can do whatever you want with it. So say you have $100,000 that should be going to your parents. You say, well, this is gift. This is going to the temple, mom and dad. And they're like, we needed that. I don't have social security. This is Israel. <laughs> and and <Let> it go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and because of that, you could go use it. You could go buy whatever the hell you want. And but at the end of your life, you just have to make sure that there's enough money to give it to the temple. So you could reinvest it and use it how you want. So it's a way for them to like it's a way for the Pharisees to sanction you using your money, however. And then he quotes Isaiah 29. And that's where you have the whole blind guides thing. You know, if a blind guide leads another blind person, they fall into a pit. That that yeah. to me is my, one of my favorite images. You know, yeah. can you imagine a guy who's just like, don't worry, I'll help you get there. <laughs> Can't see. <laughs> We're both going to make it, I promise. And also the idea that you just have these two blind men walking with each other. And they just fall into a pit. And they're just like, wait, I thought you were leading me. No, I'm blind too. <laughs> I knew this wasn't going to work from the start. But that's what the Pharisees are. They're like, they're blind. Well, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, right? And then yeah. he he eventually wasn't a Pharisee anymore, right? Or did he stay a Pharisee? He was just He like converted. A, he converted, right? According to tradition. Were there any Pharisees that followed Jesus rightly? Or that and they still besides Nicodemus, they still A number him? of them did, yeah. Like what was the name of the the high priest when that freaking Caiaphas? Caiaphas, yeah, and and Annas. And Annas. this is another thing. Clem brought this up today in our Saint Jerome about a Biathar and a Himalek. Uh, yeah, Joseph of Arimathea. Uh, no, Joseph. Uh, I don't really know. But you would have this scenario where the high priest and his son would rule together. 
Caiaphas was actually the son-in-law of Annas. And it had gotten corrupt. So basically, Annas was high priest that year because he was the highest bidder. He bid the most money to make himself high priest. Is that how that works? <laughs> That's not how it should work. <laughs> It'd be like be, becoming Pope because you're the wealthiest or something like that, you know? So it wasn't. So at that point, it was so bad that John records that Annas became high priest that year because he bid the highest amount of money. And Caiaphas, his son-in-law, okay, Joseph Arimathea was a member of the, the Sanhedrin. No that, way. Good, good stuff, John. Um, and uh, and so Annas's son-in-law, Caiaphas, was acting high priest uh, because you also pass it with your son-in-law or whatever. And and Caiaphas was from another really wealthy family. You know, he's the one who came up with the plot to kill Jesus because the Pharisees were all gathered together like, dude, this Jesus guy is like wrecking us. Every time we come up to him, we're like, wash your hands. Don't pluck heads of grain. He's like slam dunk on us with all the prophets. (laughs) We can't have this going on. (laughs) That's fair enough. The crowds are going to go with them. (laughs) And then and then Caiaphas makes this statement where he says um, he he prophesied that year because he was the high priest. He said, do you do you guys know nothing? Don't you know it's better that one man shall die than the whole nation shall perish? Yeah. And then John says, he said that not because, uh, he said that because he was high priest that year. He prophesied it's better for one man to die than for a whole nation to perish. Now, what he meant is, now we're going to kill Jesus so the Romans don't come and kill us. But what he actually was saying was, this one man is going to die and all of us are going to be saved. It's pretty amazing, huh? That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Jesus always spoke in parables and it's like whenever there's a concrete statement made, it's like it reverts back to parables. Cause like, that's the way that you understand it. That's the way that it, like it should be understood. There's so many, you know, the prodigal son, it's simple though. You know, it's like this guy falls away from his family. He wastes all of his riches and he comes back and broke and his dad open, you know, welcomes him with open arms. Other son gets pissed because he's been working his ass off and he hasn't spent any of the money that his father gave him. Mm-hmm. comes back and father open arms welcomes yeah. his son they fat slaughter fat and calf and you know it's cool because they all relate back to the same thing and that's Jesus right and and his teachings and his ways and you know you can you can tell how serious he was not only by like the crowds that he was attracting, but by how much it pissed off the Pharisees and the high priests. Cause they're like, we can't have, we're supposed to be the authority here. We can't have this going on. Yes. He comes and just wrecks shop dude. And he just mm-hmm. takes, takes the Pharisees out and eventually they kill him. And you know, it, it, yeah. So parables, yeah. You know, do you know what the, the Greek word parable it's, so bole means to throw, or bole, you just throw, and para just means beside. So it's a throwing beside. So it's like a story. So, you know, here's your actual situation. So I'm going to throw something beside it that compares, no right? No way. Come yeah. on. That's just parabole. Yeah. Parabole. It's cool. So in the Old Testament, you remember when David uh, kills Uriah, takes Bathsheba? Do you know that whole story? Say it again. Okay. King George and the ducky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who killed who? Okay. King David. David? All right, all right. I'm going to tell the story. Second Samuel uh, 12 and 13. So 
How did King David? So here, here's what happened. All right. So David had united all 12 tribes and it, and it was the springtime. It's the time when kings go out to war. And so he sends Joab, his leading general, to go to war for him. Real piece of work, Joab. Yeah, Joab, uh, crazy guy. So, so Joab's out on war and his whole armies are out at war. But David's like, you know what? I'm going to kick my feet up. It's time to enjoy the palace a little bit, you know? And so instead of going out to war with all of his soldiers, he sits at the palace, kicks his feet up. It's the afternoon. It's hot outside. And he's just gazing from the palace over Jerusalem. And lo and behold, a lady's bathing on her roof. Oh, I've seen this one. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen this one. (laughs) You know, I couldn't laugh. People just be bathing on their sunroof. I mean, yeah, you know. I've, it happens. It happens. What's too. that? What's the name of the guy that a bad or a guy that does that where he's staring at a woman? Freaking. I think it's called a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that editorial gloss there. Uh, yeah. So so he's he's you know he's just chilling out and he sees this woman bathing on her roof. That's kind of a weird place to bathe. I could be wrong. Visual. Mm. It's a festive visual. Mm. I could have some images na- with that. And and ironically, her name is Bath Sheba. <laughs> <laughs> Best That's right, are. actually. That's okay. a terrible joke. So he sees... Wait. He sees Bathsheba. King's, King David. King David. He's sitting in his palace. He's like, damn. And <laughs> so anyways, he calls for Bathsheba. She comes to his palace. And first try, she gets pregnant. And <laughs> First try. Damn, well, he wasn't trying, power. but... I mean... Oh, and, and it... Yeah. And it, there's some other hints that like... She would have been in a certain period that well, that's she would be very thing, fertile. Right? Yeah, there's something there that yeah. like, yeah, she was like very fertile. So it was wait, wait, even so King more David's stupid. just spying on this chick who's thing bathing, is, and then though. he just tells her to come into his palace. Yeah, and she's like, all hell is, breaks though, loose. They fornicate. Californication. Uh-huh. She's married to Uriah the Hittite. So Uriah like is that. one of the soldiers for David, like an officer. Oh, jeez. And the army. So now Bathsheba's pregnant. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, what's the baby daddy going to do? Well, he's going to call. He calls Uriah back from the front line. And he says, Uriah, come back. Uriah comes back. King David's like, welcome back. Uriah's like, what the hell did you call me here for? You know, <laughs> you know, I want to get back out with my men who are out there fighting. And yeah. David's, you know, like, it's a kind of an insult on David because David's just like sitting there just like chilling. You know, he should be out fighting. <laughs> And David's like, no, come and feast in my palace. He gets Uriah super drunk. And he says, Uriah, go back to your house. Be with your wife. You know, all this stuff. So hoping that, you know, Uriah is going to sleep with her and then claim the kid. You know, they're all Jewish. Maybe they all look the same. I don't know. Maybe it'll work out. Like, wow, my kid really looks like the king. But that's what he's hoping. This story's this is the Old Testament, man. You know, stuff goes crazy. Uh, so anyways, but Uriah is like... No, I would never go home. I would never do this while my my buddies are out in the field fighting. Why would I ever do that? And so he sleeps on the palace steps. And just drunk. <laughs> David tries it a second time. Nothing but like nothing doing. Uriah is not all going. All the while Bathsheba is back at her house, right? Yeah. And house. and and he's not going to see her because this is official business. They're on war, so he doesn't need to go home. Who are they fighting? Uh I forget. Yeah. But they were fighting at the time. So, so King David's like, this is bad. This is really bad. Uh, so what I'm going to do, he gives Uriah orders in a letter and he seals the letter before he gives it to Uriah. Inside the letter is a message to Joab, the commander. 
So Uriah takes the message. He doesn't know what it says. And he goes all the way back to Joab and hands Joab the letter. And inside the letter are the commands that are going to kill Uriah. What? So David has Uriah deliver his own death sentence. Oh. And and Uriah hands Joab a letter, and inside the letter it says, Joab, what I want you to do is have all your men go forward and attack, and right when the enemy's pursuing you, pull back without Uriah knowing it so he gets cut down. Dude, what the frick, man? So Joab does it, and Uriah dies, and then when news gets back from Joab that Uriah is dead, he calls for Bathsheba, she comes to the palace, and she becomes his wife. Damn, that's some... Jesus appointed David? (laughs) (laughs) well yeah he was the king you know so all of a sudden the the lord was not very happy with the murder of uriah and the taking Bathsheba. who who wasn't the lord yeah Uh, yeah obviously he he sends nathan the prophet and nathan comes to david and and nathan tells him a parable a parable now imagine imagine you're gonna get screwed bitch yeah yeah that's kind of what it was i mean imagine if nathan had come like straight away and was just like you dumbass. <laughs> you can't do this. Well, it wouldn't have been that effective. I mean, David would have just, well, what was, you know, David might have just killed him at that was, point. What was, um, what was Bathsheba's response to uh, Uriah dying? I think she mourned him for a little bit and then she didn't went know to why, David. Though, right? No. Yeah. Nobody right. Said why. Yeah, exactly. Okay. O- only David and Joab would have known why Uriah died. Did Joab ever question why david was doing joab that? dude is a piece dude he's some work really? he's one of those guys that like will kill for anything it doesn't matter oh, and, seriously <laughs> yeah we'll pick sides he's a really crazy character and so he didn't he wasn't like this joab ends up like, just like this is an order from the king gotta do it yeah and he he's one of those guys that's very impulsive um he kills people at random he's he's a wild guy <laughs> wild character yeah maybe more on him later not for now but okay yeah pre- i have theories up. on joab yeah so anyways nathan comes to him and tells him a parabola he tells him a story here's the story he said hey king david i'm a prophet all right let me tell you a story here's the parabola here's the throwing beside there was a rich man had tons of fields tons of flocks and just everything he could possibly want and there's also this poor man and this poor man had a a little ewe lamb that he loved and he nurtured, that drank from his cup, that played with his children, and even slept in the bed where he was. And he loved this ewe lamb. So one day, the rich man was having guests from a faraway country and decided, we need to have food for this feast. And so instead of looking to all of his rich lands, he said, you know what? I want to have that poor man's ewe lamb for for my dinner. And so he goes and he calls for the poor man's ewe lamb, kills the lamb, and eats it for his feast. Now, what should happen to that man? And David says, by the Lord, that man deserves to die. <laughs> and then Nathan says, thou you, art the man. Are that oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Nathan coming in clutch. So what happened? Yeah. How did David die? Didn't he die of old age or no? Uh. Uh, yes, yes. But then Nathan continues and he said, thus says the Lord, because you have done this thing, the child that's conceived in Bathsheba will will die. No, why does why and the Lord will bring that? down all these punishments upon Israel because you've uh. done this thing. Behold, you have done this thing in secret, but behold, this will be done to you before your wives in broad daylight. Oh, no, dude. 
And so Jesus the first thing that happens, so David repents and he sackcloth and ashes. The Lord relents from great punishment, but still the, the child dies in childbirth. And I believe later on, David gets pursued for something and like they take his wives and concubines and basically rape them in public. So, oh, oh my God. Yeah, it gets really bad. It gets really Wasn't bad. Wasn't Solomon David's but, but Bathsheba, yes, through, through Bathsheba, Bathsheba. through Bathsheba. Yep. Solomon was the son of David and Bathsheba. I thought, so, I thought they killed him in the womb. No, the that was before. So oh, okay, yeah. So Solomon was later. Um, but yeah, Solomon, wild. So yeah. the parable that Nathan's telling, David condemns himself. Yeah, you know. Wow. And if you think of the story, David's a it's a little incongruous. I mean, like he deserves to die. Like you know, maybe maybe give him like ten more lambs. Like I'm really sorry, but David was like <laughs> deserve to die. You know, <laughs> like takes the ewe lamb of the poor man. Um. And, but Nathan, you know, I love that thou art the man, you know, it's just one of the best. Thou art the man. That's the purpose of parables. You, you actually, you know, the idea that you tell stories to people that are lesser intelligence of you than you is actually not the case. You actually tell parables to those who have more power than you. Because if you come out straight up with the truth to people more powerful than you, they may just kill you. Yeah. But if you can get them to condemn themselves... Or see the truth of your proposition by the parabole, by the throwing beside, then you can also hide things in stories where some people see the significance to how it approaches reality now, and other people just don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like if I tell this extended story and both of us know what it relates to, but no one else does, then we're communicating something regarding that story without other people knowing. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know what we could even, um, yeah, I mean, if I, it's hard to come up with if I was telling a, a whole story about these, um, two guys, you know, and they, they started this podcast together and, uh, talked a lot of garbage. One day they received a note out on their car, really crazy, uh, story and all this stuff. Like we're already picking up on something real life that's happened, you know, but people wouldn't know because they don't already have the context. So a parable, a throwing beside story can relate something between two parties that have a shared knowledge and can hide things between those who don't have the shared knowledge. That to me is Jesus's parables. So he's saying like the kingdom of heaven is like blank. It's like a dragnet that takes in all the fish of the sea, some good, some bad. The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price, which a man sold all that he had and he bought the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like uh, uh, when, you know, you have the story of the prodigal son. You have all these other parables. They're throwing beside. And it's because the Jerusalem temple authorities of the day were really corrupt. And so he needed to hide some things in, in parables. So anyways, I but I love that story of Nathan and David. That to me is like one of the, the peak parable stories. That's a great story. Yeah, I mean. So severe, you know, severe consequences. Crazy, man. That's a crazy story. But yeah, I mean, the Pharisees were that for Jesus' day. I mean, they were even worse in so many ways. You know, before Jesus really came around, the Pharisees, were they good people? I mean, they were high priests, but they, they taught the law, right? Because here's the thing. They were stating, like, even when they said, 
okay, shouldn't you, shouldn't your disciples wash their hands before they eat? I mean, they're just stating what's said in the law, right? So when the Pharisees were teaching to people, didn't, I mean, they weren't stating anything false, right? They were just teaching the law. So is that what they were like? I mean, were they necessarily, or did they just all of a sudden turn evil when Jesus came around? Because they were salty about Jesus. I mean, well, they were, they they were, were corroborating with the Romans and the Herodians. They were propping up a temple system that was extorting the uh, people coming to the temple. They weren't really preaching the law. They were preaching this kind of like hyper detail oriented version of the law, like washing your hands, straining out a gnat. But they reject like the weightier matters matters of the law. So the widows and orphans they were neglecting, honoring your mother and father they were neglecting. They weren't trying to actually expect the Messiah. They were trying to actively keep him out. They were profiting from all of these corrupt things that were really hidden. Well, how did the Pharisees come to power? Uh, so they were a faction within the Jewish people uh, and within the Jewish religious structure that were known for their like really tight um, interpretations of the law, really, really narrow, you know, straining out. Yeah, super trads. Yeah. <laughs> um, everything had to be scrupulously done and all this type of stuff. And after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, so in 70 AD, you have the temples completely destroyed. The Sadducees were these old school Pentateuch uh, Jews who basically didn't believe any of the prophets nor did they believe in the resurrection of the body. They actually didn't think the resurrection was ever going to happen. They also were really weird about the Messiah. And so the Sadducees were this, and they had a lot of power in the Jerusalem temple. There were a lot, a lot of the Sanhedrin was Sadducees. And they also believed, um, yeah, they didn't believe in the resurrection and they didn't believe in the prophets. They just believed in the law. Now, yeah, the Pharisees were another group that, yeah, they're the Perushim, the separated ones. And they, after the temples destroyed in 70 AD, the Sadducees wiped off the face of the earth. And there's no more Sadducees. What happened? They were all killed. Like literally all of them were killed. Who, who killed them? The Romans. The, the first Romans the did. first Jewish revolt in 70 AD. Nearly, according to Josephus, one million Jews perished in the Jerusalem revolt from 66 to 70 AD. One million. What happened? Why did the revolt start? Who... So there was a lot of weird factors. There were a lot of Messiah figure figures running around. There were weird harvest things going on. And basically the Jews thought the, the end times were coming and that this was the time to revolt. And so it led to mass revolt. And then the Vespasian dynasty with uh, Titian, Titian, holy crap, <laughs> Titus. <laughs> Titian. <laughs> Titian's the Italian painter from the 1500s. Yeah. Titus, uh, Vespasian. Um, what, are, what are the other Vespasian dynasty? I don't even remember. Anyways, they were looking to solidify their empire and they wanted to make a scene to show that they were like strong Roman. And they're like, hey, this Jewish revolt, this is the thing. So they send Titus out to lead, to lead the charge against the revolt. He crushes them for four years, crushes them. He gets them all the way to Jerusalem and basically holds out around it, makes sure no food gets into the city. And because there were these warring messianic tribes where this person would say, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah, all those type of stuff. 
what happened is there was plenty of food in Jerusalem for a very long time. But the infactions within actions within Jerusalem burned each other's uh, food supplies. So oh, they no. ran out of food. Oh, they literally ran out of food because of uh, because of infighting. And the famine was so bad in Jerusalem at the time that Josephus recounts that the Roman soldiers, when they were going through Jerusalem, were like had to like hold their breath because of the smell of burning flesh, oh. cannibalism. Oh, gosh. And one recounts uh, a Jewish woman running outside offering her burnt child to one of the soldiers. Oh, what the fuck, dude? Wild, right? Oh. And a million Jews perished within that uh, that time of the Jewish revolt. So after that happened, Sadducees, no more. The Jerusalem temple, no more. No more sacrifices, no more Herodian temple, no more Jewish temple people. So what happened? No more Levitical that? priesthood. Tell Pharisaical rabbinic Judaism. And the Talmud came out so of that. So Pharisees that's when later. the Pharisees yeah, yes, started. Like 200s and later. Yeah. That's when the Pharisees started after the Sadducees got They destroyed. were able to transfer the teachings of the law to yeah, Talmud, that type of stuff. Like modern Judaism is Pharisaical Judaism. They say rabbinical, but yeah. They say rabbinical, but yeah, it is pharisaical. So the Pharisees were the only ones who survived. Like their interpretation of the law was the only one who survived. Back in the day, the Essenes, who were another group, were far more messianic in their hopes and their expectations. A lot of them became Christians. And the Christians in Jerusalem, do you remember in Acts 5, when Ananias and Sapphira, when they sell all their land in Jerusalem and they bring the prophets to the apostles? Remember this at all? I don't even know who that is. <laughs> so, so after in Acts of the Apostles, I after should read Peter, the Bible more, people. <laughs> yeah, after Peter and and John preach, uh, a lot of them are converted, and they all start to sell their property in Jerusalem. Why do they do that? It's because Jesus prophesied for like literally like sixteen chapters in the Gospel about like, hey, Jerusalem's going to get destroyed. Hey. Jerusalem's going to get like wrecked, annihilated. Like they're unfaithful. Flee I'm bringing judgments. Flee to the hills. You know, Flee hope that hills. hope that you know the women aren't pregnant in that time and that no one's nursing because the uh, you know you're going to have to flee very quickly um, because the judgment's coming. So all the Christians were like, "Oh yeah, he said that. We probably shouldn't have property in a place that's going to be worth absolute dog." garbage it's not gonna be worth anything so you sell all the property now so you sell it to somebody else like hey i'm getting out of here and that's why they did that so the christians actually in mass like before 70 ad were outside of the city when it was destroyed they fled to the mountains in palaia Wait, so Ju- jerusalem got destroyed in 70 ad of god through the romans through the romans yep um yeah, and so the Pharisees' Pharisaical rabbinic Judaism became the only thing that was left after that. It's pretty wild, yeah. Ain't been a temple since. No, there's been no temple since, yeah. And that was one of the big things for the Christians when there were still Jews who were in the settlements and the colonies in Alexandria and Rome and all this stuff. Is like, yeah, you have no temple now. Like, wh- be a Christian. Damn. Wow. Like, Christ is the temple. You know, he's the new temple. Dang, so the temple was gone, and then that was the destroyed temple was the renewed spirituality. Yeah, it was in Christ. Wow. Exactly. Um far afield, but yeah, that's that's where my, my gospel in a year has been like revolving around these Pharisaical figures because they spend the gospel spends so much time on them. 
And I think we don't take them seriously. Okay, I'm float this, for example. I actually think the Pharisees represent... So remember when Christ says, beware the, the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Who does he say that to? He doesn't say it to like random people. He says it to the apostles. It's recapitulated in 1 Corinthians as well. Oh, really? Isn't that where a little leaven ruins the loaf? Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, why would he tell the apostles, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Well, because that's the temptation of the apostles is to become Pharisees. Well, what are the Pharisees? That's the question I've been trying to answer in the last like 21 episodes or whatever. Like, okay, well, what's this temptation that the apostles need to be warned from? I think it's basically turning... Christianity, turning the law of Christ, the revelation that he's given us into an external law code that you can use to prop up your own power. Yeah, right. First Corinthians five, six, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven, uh, leavens the whole loaf? There's a boasting in having the revelation of God and having the law of God and seeing it as an external structure that can then you can dominate people with because you have the revelation. It's like the Grand Inquisitor stuff. I, I was trying to f- like tease it out. I didn't know exactly what where I was going with it, but that's where I was going with it on this Valentine's evening. <laughs> uh, that's crazy. There's just so many stories in the Bible, dude. How do I? I need help because where do I? I really like reading the Bible, but where do I start to really get an understanding of how the flow of the Bible? I mean. I feel like, well, I have I like, a, sto- here's my problem. I like stories. I want to read stories. So I heard like the book of Job is just straight stories. What's the, is it Tobit or no, not yep. Tobit. Ruth. I, I have a problem with reading the Bible as one story and you start in Genesis. Like the, 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 the Bi- and then you just go on. That works. So it's, bad. Yeah. The Bible's a, a story about Christ and all of reality. Like Christ is the main story. Jesus is. He's the main story of reality. I mean, I mean, the Trinity is, and then history is the story of Christ, right? <laughs> so, so from all eternity, what is there? It's just God. It's the Trinity. It's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in infinite delight, infinite perfection. And it's not static. It's continuously... The, the father's continuously begetting the son. The son is imaging the father and the Holy Spirit is this love between all three. And it's dynamic. The, the father's always begetting the son. The son is always imaging the father. It's it's continuously happening, infinitely growing and infinitely. Exp- but it's, not, you know, these are images for it, but it's not static. It's infinitely dynamic and completely perfect all in one. It just blows your mind. And in that infinite delight of the father in the son, the infinite delight of the son and the father, the infinite delight that is the Holy Spirit, they decide to create. And that creation is the universe that we live in. It's the creation of time and space. And in that, they fashion all the forms of reality. The forms that, whether it's the trees and the birds and the air and the sun and the moon and the stars and the all of that is fashioned out of this Trinitarian delight. And then they create the form of man. A person, a, a hypostasis of itself. A, you know, the Father is a person, the Son is a person, and the Holy Spirit is a person. This Trinitarian mystery of personhood. Like, can you imagine the Father different than the Son? 
No. Can you imagine the son different than the father? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Heresy! (laughs) I mean, like, they're understood in their relation to each other. So the creation of the human person is in its relation to God, right? And in its relation to other human persons. It's the mystery of this whole thing of personhood. But why did God create the human body and human soul, this human person, well, so so that he could unite it to himself. And what's the way by which he does that? But by Jesus. He literally becomes man himself. That's the mystery of all of creation. That's, that's, that's like, so God from all eternity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in infinite delight. He creates a universe that he can become as perfectly united to as possible. But why? See, this is what I don't understand. God the Father, God the Son... You know why is it why is it called son if he's the father? You know what I mean? Like it's the same person. So why I can understand father, but why the step down to son? It's not a step down. It's just, it's like it's the relation. Yeah. So the father is. Yeah, the father is not the son. The son is not the father. But the father and the son, like, what would a father be without a son? It's impossible. It's, yeah. It implies son. Right. What would a son be without father? Like it implies father. There's only a left in that it's left of something. There's only a right in that it's to the other side. It's a relational term. Yep. So it's relational. So the persons are relational in their very being. There's the being of God. And in that mystery of divine life, it's the relation of three persons. And those three persons are co-equal. They're co-eternal, co-infinite, are um, anything you say about the father, except that he is the unbegotten. Anything that you say about the Son, except that he is the begotten, and anything you say about the Spirit, except that he is the spiration of the Father and the Son, are said equally of all three. Any other predicate that you say of them is said of the, the three. It's the, um, yeah, uh, so you can say God was cr- nailed to the cross. He was in the person of the Son, you know, and, and the Father and the Spirit were there. It's not like they weren't there. They were there, right? Christ is the Son, but like in a certain sense, the Son, you know, is the full image of the Father. So the Father's there. He's not like not present. The Son is the anointed. And so the Spirit's there. But what of those three persons is their own is the unbegotten, the begotten, and the spiration. So they retain their personhood. They become infinitely their own persons in infinitely imaging each other. You're like begetting the son, the son imaging the father, the Holy Spirit being the love between all, right? It's kind of the relational union that marriage imperfectly points towards. Mm. Yep. Yeah, where, look, if you grow to be one flesh with your beloved, then you... The reciprocation and the uniting of the wills creates, in a way, this one will, this one entity... So does the love that you have for the other confuse you and the other? Like, do you merge to the point where you, now you have a, a collapse? It's literally one. <laughs> it's, it's like, no, uh, no. It's my like, personhood actually becomes more my more fully my own in a certain sense. Yeah. Not, not independent. It becomes the more dependent it becomes, the more different it becomes. Okay. It's not the myth of self. So please. you like in becoming in love with the other you become more your person because persons are relational already. 
Oh, I get it. Because okay. the father is already in relation to the son, and the son is already in relation to the father. So, like, the son becomes more the son because he's more the son of the father. The father becomes more the father because he's more the father of the son. Like, the difference of persons, the harmony of difference is not a reduction to a monotone. Harmony is difference that remains difference but is harmonized. Aristophanes yeah so like all persons are different but like they're meant for union but that union is not a confusion it's a union in difference which is a harmony hmm. you sing a, a, a beautiful song or you have a symphony it's all this difference united together to convey a theme or to convey something you know hmm. so that's the basis for creation is harmonious difference the bird images the father and the son and the Holy Spirit different than the human does, different than the the ape does, different than the tree does, different than the sunset does. There's infinite difference, but it's meant to be harmonized through the person of Jesus Christ. So the person of Jesus Christ unites humanity, which is the greatest of all creation, with God perfectly, consubstantially. So God has a human body even now. It's his human body. Think about that for a second. That's just crazy. The God of infinity has a human body that's, you know, probably a little bit shorter than six foot, maybe six foot. That's crazy. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Why? Maybe like 180 pounds for all eternity. And a human soul. And he can say, I, and that I is the person, Jesus Christ, who was born of Mary. Why bring Mary of Nazareth, like a literal person? Why and Mary of Nazareth was born of Joachim and Anne, and Joachim and Anne have ancestors all the way back to Adam and Eve. It's human. What is that? How does that make? How does that change the, the bringing circumstances? A man. Yeah. How does that bringing in human flesh? How does that change the circumstances? God became man so that men may become gods. Mm-hmm. That which is not assumed is not saved. Deification. That's the, that's the term. So, yeah. God became man. So the son of God became the son of man. So that sons of men might become the sons of God. Fishers of men. Well, that yes. was Athanasius. But. Yeah, that was Athanasius. Yeah. So why, why introduce... So your question was like, why introduce humanity into the picture? Why, why assume human flesh why as God? Why assume human flesh as God? So it's the most perfect way for God to become all in all. That's the reason. Like, saying, like, okay, so from all eternity, God's there and he wants to create out of delight. And he wants to create human persons to be united with him, to co-create with him, to create a universe that shows his beauty, shows his glory. Like, there's no challenge. He doesn't create the world and say like, oh, damn, I hope it, I hope it likes me. <laughs> you know, God's not sitting up there from all eternity like, oh, man, oh, no. No, like he knows the story. He creates all things. There, there's nothing that can't can can exist out of his divine goodness and beneficence. His trinitarian delight. And so the world is not created in violence or evil. It's created in peace. The trinitarian peace. And he looks to man and says, "Will you love me greater than all of this that I've created for you? Will you love me above all things?" And man says, "No." But God didn't say, "Well, I almost cussed." I'm not Fuck going you to. Guys. No, I know. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't say like, 
dang it. I'm never going to create again. This Do sucks. The streets with you. Yeah. He's not like, that was terrible, man. I'm never doing that again. Um, no. No, no, no. He's not going to be thwarted. No. Well, here's the thing. From all eternity, he's like, yeah, okay. Well, I'm going to become man in Jesus Christ. Well, then why if, you know, it's like. He why? loves a good drama, all right? He, he does, yeah. yeah, he does. He does. But, you know, why bring famine and, and plague and Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, burn the whole city down? If he loves us and he knew that we were going to make bad choices, why even bother? If you're going to kill the people that you created because they're sinning and they have original sin and they're not perfect... Why even create those people in the first place if you're going to burn them all? That's a good question. That is the best it's question like, you can possibly. Like, that's the question. That is the question. So what's the answer? So, okay. That question actually reaches to the very depths. <laughs> because if you're going to have evil, why create? That's the question. That's the primordial question. Like, But evil came through the creation, right? Because that, they knew that that was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen, so God created evil. No. But people created the evil, but God created the people. God created- <laughs> yeah, exactly, John. God created- exactly. Explain that. <laughs> Sorry, John. <laughs> I'm trying to throw the hardest question ever at you. Nice. Finally, you defer. You shut up on that one. Uh, <laughs> evil, properly speaking, isn't. Isn't what? Isn't. It doesn't exist. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, imagine evil per se. I mean, it, there's no being. There's no being to it. Like it's, the good is God. Yeah, but it's, and, it's and what's creation. the opposite but of it's, God? But it's conducted through human beings. Through the misuse of what they are given right, by God. So, it's so in, what exists yeah. outside of God? Nothing. Yes. Okay. So that's what evil is. Nothing. Well, there's yeah, no I mean, opposite. There's no like, hey, it's God or this. There's no like, all exists God, within yeah. God's infinite being. Even f- finitude exists within the infinity that well, is then God. Why give free will? Because free will is assuming that humans- another easy question. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean that's it's, another like terribly okay, hard question. Is free will given or earned? Given. given. Uh, uh, well. Actually, that is, is a, given actually, or that's Augustine. another wow. That's is another given or Kellen's out here with all the greatest <laughs> questions. Yeah, that is it's, free, I think freedom. It's is participation free, in the good. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it's an interesting. Well, it's given to us, but free. Okay, so what free will what's is true, is only through hell, grace. Then? What's free, the point of hell? Which if you're going to give either Fr- true freedom and true freedom mm. of the will. This later Augustine started getting into this is only through grace because otherwise we are such a slave to concupiscence to the wages of uh, original sin that our will is free. Like we can choose, but it's it's all it's inclined towards the lesser. So it's through the grace of God that we can actually choose the good as it is. So our will is given to us in creation and it's, we're able to use it more freely through another gift, which is grace. But isn't free will assuming that there's going to be evil. What's the point of doing it? It God wants you to choose him. Well, you're not just, it's not that easy. If you're going to choose God, then there has to be some sort of you thing have that's going to challenge you. You have to be able to turn your face away from the light to choose to face the light. So free will necessitates the possibility of moral evil on the human end. 
And if we're going to be relational creatures with God, and if we are, go- it's truly going to be love, there has to be the possibility to reject it. Yeah, okay, I get that. But, well, that's the whole thing of free will. But, you know, it's like, hell is real. And is it, you know, is heaven given to you or is it earned? Well, you can, you can, <laughs> do, you can do shitty things your entire life and you'll go to hell. That has happened. So what's the point, right? It's like, if it's given to us, obviously it's given because God gave us that. It's just known to man. It's common sense. But the whole notion of it being earned or not, like, yeah, I think it is because you can fuck up your entire life and go to hell. Ultimately, Or you could mess up your okay. entire life and go to heaven. Nobody knows, ultimately. Ultimately, uh, but it must, heaven is it merited. It must be earned. Okay. It heaven, has to be earned. Heaven is merited through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, primarily, ultimately, all that. So well, if we're talking about merit in the strictest sense, it's through Christ. But, it, but you can also use the term merit to describe our participation and our cooperation with grace and with God and our acceptance of Christ and our conformity to, his, to him. So you, in a sense, yes, it is merited. There's theological terms for it. I think it's... Um, but there has condine, on some level but... something has to be earned, right? Because why give us choice? Okay, let's go back to the evil aspect. Okay, free will. Free will is determined. It's not totally free. This is like well, the myth to- of autonomy. Yes. Like, like, look, the will is always towards the good. You cannot. Yeah, everything acts according that. to a function, according to Aristotle. Right? Like, if I want to accomplish a podcast, I have to hit record. If I want to like drink this whiskey i have to drink it like there's a function that allows to the good the end which you pursue determines the means by which you achieve that that's just straight thomas thomas talks about this so if i want to open the spear which i will do right now i will go shebang away and now it's opened yeah so the end which you're trying to pursue determines the means by which you achieve it so free will's end is god himself and so the good. God is the good, right? So when you want to achieve the good, you do the good. Now there's intermediary goods to that ultimate end of God himself, the the ultimate good. That could be the good of the body, the good of health, the good of friendship, the good of wealth, the good of any type of those goods, right? When you're choosing evils, it comes back to the notion of sin is hamartia. Hamartia is missing the mark going away from the good. You're you're missing your ultimate end through a proximate evil. So you have your sight set on God and you've chosen lesser things that are leading you away from God, but they're not leading you to the evil in a generic sense. It's leading you like the devil doesn't create, he destroys. The evil one doesn't create a new universe that you're picking the bad universe. He's destroying the good that's already there. But the thing is, like, if God has created human beings, which he has, why would he even let there be a possibility of evil and and Satan? Why create Participation Satan? in the good. It's the choice again. Right, but why so give a choice? If God is all good, God is not all evil. So what's the point of creating Satan and, and you know, let there being a possibility of evil? That's not what God is. God but it's is not a possibility of pure evil. It's just... Good beings, it's, it's persons part- it's, not yes. wanting to participate. It's either you in the participate good. in it or you turn away from it. 
What's the point of anything? Like, so why, like, why would I, God do I could that? stand out. So God part- is good. Why would he allow that even that possibility to happen? So like if I stood up right now and slapped you and then threw you out the window, you know, like <laughs> technically I could freely do that. But it's like it's almost an impossibility, right? Why would I choose that ever? Now, I could, you know, you could bring up a bunch of circumstantial things that would then justify or whatever, you know, whatever you're about to kill me or something. <laughs> but like at this circumstance, I am not free to slap you and throw you out the window because of what I who I am and the good that I'm trying to pursue and the love that we have already, you know, and the person that we are, it's impossible for me to literally slap you and throw you out the window and try and kill you. Like, and I'm using that, like, because that's what the image of the Immaculate Conception is, where is Mary, like, is the Immaculate Conception, do we want to say that what it is, is God saying like, hey, all these other people can sin, but you, Mary, ha, you don't have to worry about that. Now you just get to sit back and relax. No, her freedom is perfected because God has perfected her in grace to do the good perfectly. And to achieve her end. So her creative freedom is unleashed like nothing else. The freedom to do the good. Because what the good allows you to do is whatever particular circumstance you're in determines the good that the good proximate end that you achieve, that you do to achieve the ultimate end. So the proximate end of us achieving the good is creating this bomb ass podcast, you know, that could be our proximate end to an ultimate end of a greater good. So the notion of freedom and good and the evil, and why would God allow evils to exist in the world? They are deprivations of the ultimate good. But we, but this, the, the whole point of the story of creation reality is the ultimate good is achieved. The new heavens and the new earth. And that there's nothing in creation that is outside of that, that can look at God from all eternity and say, ha, I've won. I've completely non-participated in your good. Does that mean I'm a universalist? Uh, well, I'll throw that to John. No, but what, what it means is God is God and his will. The good that God is from all eternity remains unto eternity. Evil doesn't exist as God's opposite. Free will becomes participation in greater and greater goods. What heaven looks like is not a static, well, well done, congrats, here's your stamp, go sit in the corner. It's you are perceiving the infinite goodness that God is in his person and at an infinite speed, incalculable speed, moving further in and further all into the divine person. Further up and further in. Farther up and further in, yeah. With with all of redeemed humanity with you eternally remain becoming who you are in your person in knowing all of the other persons in the one you know the god who created you from nothing and is bringing you into his eternal being it's wild either it just, it just either seems, that's the story of reality or you should jump off a cliff it just seems like something in this story something has to be earned right Something has to be. I mean, why? Like I'm saying, okay, name, why work name, for anything? Okay, name one thing that you earned before you were created. The right to be created. 
Nah. Hell no, you didn't. <laughs> no, you didn't. You dumb fuck. The thought of, <laughs> the thought of being created. How about that? The question itself is naked. Tra- you came into the world the like g- you didn't earn even you didn't earn anything of your existence. It was pure gift. Well, and it's a so why would you imagine that you, you could merit anything eternally? Okay, so what's the point of doing anything then? Why Be- can't because, I just like because so, it's good? So look, 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 look. It's good, but okay. why is it good? Wait, wait, wait. Why Helen, 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 Helen. It's like what did the did the son merit his existence from the father? Did he merit like did the son somehow exist before the father and said like? Hey, father, you know, you need to like make me son. No, it's just the eternal gift. The father loves the son into existence. There's no other reason. There's no external like, hey, look at me. I'm the son. I've merited all my good stuff. It's just pure gift. And the father does it out of beneficence. Just pure so goodness. Is no, and that's in creation life. in general. It's yeah. There's something fundamental about reality and love that it is fecund and it is giving. Yeah, like... What creation's going to stand up and say, hey, look at me, God, I did really well. Like, you know, like <laughs> he created you. He loved you into existence. You don't have to prove yourself in a sense that. Yeah, like, but then what's the point of hell? Deeper issues. Um, there, if there's something has to be earned, if there's a hell, right? It doesn't make any sense. It's, it's doesn't, it's okay. anti-common sense. If you think that nothing has to be earned. What does earn mean? No, I mean, okay. Work your did ass you, off to okay. get to heaven earned. Okay, wait a second. Did you earn the gift of faith? The gift of faith? Nothing has to be earned. It doesn't make sense to me. Because you can't just go through this life and do terrible things all your life and expect to go to heaven. You can't expect that. Yes. Well, I mean, you're you're right in that regard. So... The evil is going to be the the good that we do not do in this life will be punished in the next. That we know for sure. That that AKA we do know for sure. Purgatory or hell. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. And so the point being is that I think we think about hell very simplistically. I think people use it as a dichotomy that basically the Christian exists within this arbitrary God where. We, we take these things of venial and mortal sin and we we heighten it where all of a sudden you go from the loving God who's father and all this type of stuff and the Christian commits a mortal sin and then all of a sudden it's like hellfires are being stoked and then you go to confession and now all of a sudden like it's a good father again and then the other one he's an arbitrary father who's ready to like kill you like and that that becomes like a, a hermeneutical tool for looking at like reality and then you basically see, okay, well, most of this world's completely in, inundated with mortal sin. Everyone's going to hell. You know, it's hard enough for me personally to do the good and avoid mortal sin. So pretty much everyone's going to be damned. Well, the the gift of confession, of reconciliation, that's saying that something has to be earned because there are certain states of your soul that if you die, and this is another thing that I don't believe either. I don't believe that if you have a mortal, if you're in mortal danger and you die, you go to hell. I don't believe that crap. I think that it's it's all circumstantial. If I die and I had the sin of lust on my soul and I was in mortal sin, I don't I don't think it's necessarily true that you're going to go straight to hell if you're soul wasn't clean. I don't believe that for one second. 
It says that in the Bible, doesn't it? Hmm? You know, I don't believe that for one second. I just think point of mercy. I think we, I think we think about it far too individually. Like, how can I put this? You're saved into the body of Christ. That salvation occurs now. Like when you're baptized, you're you're brought into the body of Christ. Now you have the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit. You're living what in was Christ. The reading we had recently, I can't remember what context it was in, but there's the different tenses of it. It has been one, it is now, and it is in process as well. Yep. So like right now, we're we're living life in the Spirit. Changes everything. But are still in the process of perfection, and it has not yet reached its fulfillment. It's, it's zenith. It, yeah. It's zenith and the total apocalypse, the total unveiling of glory. Okay, so everything is a process. Until it's not. Until it's not. Yeah, and we can merit greater and greater graces by cooperating in grace but even our working in doing the good is it's, a cooperation with it, grace exactly it's we have to run so as to win the race perseverance strength to win but that gift comes from god so you cooperate with the, god, the grace that god's given you perseverance you is a grace perseverance itself so is a grace could this world operate without grace no no this world wouldn't be without wouldn't be without grace. Without God's free gift. There's no grace, pure nature grace that like taken everything, yeah. In the broadest sense is a gratuitous gift of God. So in but the broadest most useless grace, sense it's, isn't God's everything is grace assuming that we're going to sin? Because uh, what's, no, the, what's the no, point no, no. of grace? He, he, the point why of, have grace if we're, you know, well we're it's already just God's in, life. we're already in sin and need of, in need of perfection. So, sin's already a reality and this is grace in a more specific sense, is God's work on us to perfect us and bring us out of this imperfect state back to where we should be. Right. Yes, exactly. I guess uh, just to me, I, I I don't understand people who say free will and, you know, heaven is is not earned, it's given. To me, it's just that's that's bullshit. Again, you're not it's like totally off base, but you need to be careful with how you speak of earning things and merit and all of this. Well, because you, you means... do you do have to do something. You can't just sit on your butt and do whatever. You have to cooperate with God. But you you I, I mentioned it offhand earlier. The ideas of condign grace. It's through accepting God and through Jesus and aligning yourself with Him. What he earned on the cross for us is extended to us in what we do. We get grace. And you can see this in like the, correct me if I'm wrong, but like the sacraments, especially you brought up reconciliation. The only reason that it works is it's established by Christ as a way of extending the sanctifying grace to us. So you do have to do something. You do have to participate in the sacrament in this example, but ultimately the merit is from Christ, and we participate in that. And baptism, we're brought into the body of Christ. It's through recapitulation under this new head, this new Adam that we're saved. So you do, you can't just sit around and do nothing. Your faith without works is dead. But you do not, by your own merits, merit it. You merit it through the merit of Christ. No, correct me if I got that wrong. I don't want to be. No, that was yeah. that was excellent. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Merits is a. I, I feel like there's a number of concepts that we take in isolation. So one of those is that merit that like, mm. hey, if I don't earn my way to salvation, 
then what did I even do? Like, why do I even struggle? Why do I even struggle if I'm not meriting all this stuff? Did you merit your yeah. creation? It, it, what, what, Did you also yeah. merit any of like salvation? What Did you're you calling merit? merit is just accepting this gift given in love. Yeah, for you. your own good. It's completely gratuitous and for your own benefit. God gains nothing by creation. He's sharing his own self. He's sharing all that is good, all that is beautiful. His, he's just giving himself to us for no reason other than to share it with us. Your it's boasting is not good, yeah. as Paul says. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's what Paul talks about in First Corinthians is like God wants to humble everyone. He does. He really wants to humble you because, like, we have this notion that we want to like assert ourselves above everything. Like, wow, I'm so amazing. As Kendrick bitch, says, you were a kid. As Kendrick says, <laughs> like, you were a baby. Sit down, be humble. Be humble. Yeah. Like, chill out. Like. You were a little baby. You were the product of just gratuitous love between, like your your father and your mother. Hopefully. They were the yeah. Hopefully, you were the product of <laughs> you know just the gratuitous love of all the people, the ancestors before you, and ultimately everyone was just the product of just the love of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that just wanted to create, that just wanted there to be Calvin Lake in 1997. You know. That was what they wanted to have. Like, that's what God wanted from all eternity with all the creation of all the persons, the billions of people who exist, is to share in his infinite life. And no one's going to be left outside of that image. Do you think they may or may not participate in that, but they they may not cooperate. They may reject the light that's given to them. A good image for that is actually going to pull the classic reference C.S. Lewis card but in the last battle the dwarves in the stable the end times are here but they refuse to face it and they delude themselves that they cannot see the glory of everything unfolding around them they're sitting it still looks like a stable filled with dung to them even though you know (laughs) it's paradise it's like that they're within the picture it's the fault is with them not with god yes you I use them materially, but you turn away from the light, you close your eyes, you put on the blinders, but everything is still around you. You're just, you know, closing your eyes, plugging your ears, going la, 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 la. You think life would be different if there was a temporary hell? Then after that hell... Well, it's kind of purgatory, but... Well... You think life would be looked at differently if there was, like, a hell... That was only to the end of the age? That would last... That would last... How long you lived. I think that's called life. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But I feel like life would be looked at differently. But people wouldn't give as much of a damn because they know they could have a second chance. The notion of not having a second chance. How about that? All right. Let me describe some hell to you. Six million Jews dead within like three years in Nazi Germany. That's that sounds like hell to me. More like ten gas million. chambers in Auschwitz. Auschwitz. That sounds like hell to me. Like, why do we imagine hell only can occur in the next life? I think hell can be brought here and now if you reject Christ and the gospel. Total rejection of the good. I mean, that's what it is. Yeah, that is. Well, 
You know the scariest I mean, part is you're living hell read without even knowing. Read it. about Passchendaele and you're World on War the One. Way to hell read about World it. War One and World War Two. Read about like hell of a- atomic bomb stuff in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. If that's not hell, I don't know what hell is. Yeah. Yep. I think we we eschatologize hell more than we immunitize it. Hell can occur when you reject Christ and you reject the gospel. One million Jews dying in the siege of Jerusalem. That's hellish. Well, we use we use that language diabolical, hellish. Yeah, diab- you know. Diablo, Satan. So I think Devil. when you individualize the Christian faith and you eschatologize hell, you deny the fact that you can bring hell on earth by rejecting Christ and the gospel. You also reject the fact that salvation in the church is not merely next life; it's this life. Like yeah. you're brought from this state of evil and privation to the good. It's a both and. Yeah, it's a both and. Yeah, it's it's not merely it's here this now life. and to come. Exactly, and if you if you create a scenario of what Hitler created, yeah, he's going to get some pretty dang proportional punishment punishment in the next life, right? And and all those who participated in that evil. How about this? Why? But it's never going to rise. Those punishments will never rise to the level of the antithesis of the good. There yeah is no. There is no. Well. Hell is even those punishments in those persons are can in no way rise to the level of the destruction of their person, which means their participation in the good. If the person is constituted in its if the person is constituted in its relationality to the good and other persons, and if persons are not annihilated in heaven, sorry, in hell, then persons in their suffering are still in the relationality to the divine person and all the other persons besides thus universal. Let's go. No, just <laughs> no idea what the hell you just said, but no, I mean, right. I mean, if, if, if persons are in their nature relational, then individual souls condemned to hell in a certain sense are punished in the good. They're not participating in, but they also still participate in the good of the relations with other persons with the divine person. Something there. I don't know. Maybe something there. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think our, our our images are far too simplistic, and also they're they're very they're they're kind of misguided by. And and I also think they can they can become Pelagian, where you basically look and you say, well, I just have to earn my way the whole way, and I don't need grace. I just need to be like a rough and tumble disciplinarian type of guy, where I. It's all kind of military brute who guidance, well, a, like take cold showers in the morning shit. It's a graceless stoicism. It's just graceless stoicism. Exactly. It's yeah. get your house in order, rise and grind, guys, live virtuously, and you don't need grace. You, by your own action, can achieve salvation, which is nonsense because originally. Like, I'll sin, be the but. first to tell you my vices, man. I mean, I, I got plenty. Just you guys already know. You're like my closest friends. So, um, but at the same time, I don't find my salvation by just conquering all my vices. Now I, I need to conquer my vices. Okay, let's let's get that out of the way. <laughs> yeah, you but do. uh, but none of them will merit heaven for me. None of them will. Frick! If I became Usain Bolt and running, I became you know, freaking who? Uh, I don't know. Like Kobe. the greatest virtuous pe- people ever in any type of any type of bodily and humanly virtue still will not merit heaven for me. Only Christ can do that. No human effort can get me to that place. 
do I deny that I need to conquer my vices? No. Do I, you know, I still need tons of correction from priests, from friends, from whatever to, to get me back on the right path. And, but none of that's going to give me heaven. None of that's going to give me eternal salvation. God wants to give that to me through Christ. I can't merit that. I can't earn that. I can't succeed in that. I can try and grow in grace and grow in holiness and grow closer to God. That's my vocation as a, as a person. But um, it's not it's not me in a certain sense, you know. This is not I who live, but Christ who lives in Paul, me. I was about yeah. to reference that myself. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because he what dies Paul to says, himself and is reborn in Christ. Exactly. Yeah, he dies to himself and he's reborn in Christ. In a certain sense, it's not I who live, but it's Christ who live it lives in me. What does Paul mean by that? The good that I'm doing, I'm doing it in Christ. I'm not doing it apart from Christ. It's not me. Christ has given me the grace, and I'm living in Him. I become more of who I am in participation with his person, with the person of Christ. The whole story is his story. It's Christ's story, which is amazing. It's frightening, but like comforting, you know? Well, it's the- I, I love the image of the sacred heart. The sacred heart is one of those just like, yeah, we're it's pointing to his heart and the, you know, blood and water's flowing forth. It's, um, I, I love how personal the Sacred Heart imagery gets. Like, have you been to the Basilica of the Sacred Heart? Sacré-Cœur in uh, Paris? Yeah. Amazing. Oh, no, Sacré-Cœur? Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. And it's up on this hill. and But it's the Basilica to the Sacred Heart. And it's the Sacred Heart of Jesus that beats for all of humanity. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, you look at uh, Faustina, uh, St. Faustina in, in uh, Poland and her image of divine mercy, you know? Um, for the sake of a sorrowful passion, have mercy on us and on the whole world. Like this, the mercy and the love and um, that Christ shows reveals the divine reality of the mercy. You know that whole image of like our sins are a, a you know a drop in the ocean of God's mercy and all that stuff. It's like that's really cool, that yeah. even is too small. Like it's the dro- drop in like you can't even it's picture not even, how it's big even, a mercy is. Yeah, it's not even a drop. It's it's not even a drop, and it's not even as big as the you know. There is only the ocean, the ocean of God's mercy. It's just look at it or don't. Yeah, it's it's just pure infinite. I mean, there's no challenge. There's no like any individual sin from an eternal perspective. Like it's, it's no challenge to the infinite goodness of God. God God doesn't look at the devil's sin and say, "Wow, the greatest of created beings has rejected me." Oh, that is. Oh my gosh, I in my infinity, I'm you know, this this rivals my infinity. No, it definitely does not rival your infinity. That he he can't be challenged. That's preposterous to the whole infinity. It it, it is definitionally without bound. That's what Mm. infinity is. It's preposterous to posit an antithesis to boundless boundlessness. Anything and, and and it's he is who is, it's being itself. He is being. There is nothing else. Nothing is not a thing. That's why we have the word no thing. Yes. So my my difficulty is our theological imagination is so small. It's so individual. It's so me-focused. And it's just missing the gospel. It's missing this kind of eternal it's perspective. This. It's missing, like, 
Well, who the hell do you think the Trinity actually is? It's like, this goofy blend of like infantile Old Testament imagery with modern individualism. That is an excellent way of putting it. Old Testament imagery with like, yeah, infantile Old Testament imagery with modern individualism. Yeah. And that that polluted that's polluted our theological imagination to the point that we just don't think theologically. You know, we we don't think and and that's in the God logic where you're where you're looking at God and the Trinity and saying, wow, how does this clue me into everything that I'm looking at? Mm. Theology is master discourse where you're saying, well, yeah, the God, God of all eternity is, and he speaks his word into existence. That's the son. The word, the logos is the reason which makes all reason possible. Like you're not viewing it in this theological imagination. The infantile pictures are hindering your theological imagination and making it subordinate in its discourse to everything else. The icon is to point us towards the deeper reality. We're not supposed to stop at it and take that to be the literal reality itself. It's supposed to be a window to something greater, to deeper, more beautiful. I've tried to comprehend infinity. I just can't. And you never will. Neither will. It's weird. There's not like... There's not like a heaven and then a second heaven, you know? Unless yeah, you're, unless you're Mormon. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. There's like Eat your own planet, man. You know? Zoom zoom. The, bring them young. Bring <laughs> Anyway. Oh gosh. Gammy University. <laughs> that was hilarious. Bring them young, baby. <laughs> Sorry to all my uh, Mormon friends out I there. I have Mormon friends as well. I, I disassociate <laughs> from any of this. Joseph Smith, man. <laughs> Bring them young. <laughs> oh, man. You That's know, a wrap. You know, I got to go to bed. You know Steve Young was uh, is a descendant of Brigham Young? Oh, come young. on. Yeah, the quarterback. Bullshit. No, he's not. Yeah, he is. Wow. You're kidding. Look it up, homie. Wow. <laughs> One of the numerous as the sands of the seashore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> of, uh, it's like uh, Brigham Young. Yeah. Like Genghis Khan, we're all probably related to him. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Trinitarian theology, your your strong point, Kellen Lake. Literally no one's strong point. Jack shit. (laughs) (laughs) I believe it, dude. Hey, well, uh, one thing we merit, kick-ass podcast. There you go, baby. That's one thing we merited. I got a lot of badges as a Boy Scout. You have to to get Eagle. You are a Boy Scout. So you get to heaven, too. I am an Eagle Scout. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. The Kellen and Alex show has been quite a wild ride. Gospel in a year and then all the way to Trinitarian theology. Some of the best stuff. Best stuff ever. Some of the best stuff. It doesn't. Too much good stuff. Too much good stuff, dude. And with that, we're going to wrap it up. The Kellen and Alex show. John, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast with us. Uh, Quite enjoyed it. And see you later. Peace. If there's a Christian religion. And it's Catholicism or nothing. What politics actually is, art of people living together, orienting one another towards virtue. And the person was like, dude, flirting is the abortion of love. This is the most worthy, most exciting, most adventurous. Drop a nuke uh, on the Franciscan bubble. The Kellen and Alex Show. God could have stopped it. Permissive will. That's (laughs) right.
I don't know why God would allow something like that to go through. But then again, God allows God allows you to go on and on. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Truth, okay. (laughs) 